God has provided a way for fallen man to commune with Him again through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord's Prayer is a beautiful example of how we may address God with all our petitions and look for His answers with expectation. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before Nebuchadnezzar as condemned men for not worshiping His image, nothing in this world could persuade them to deny their God. The glory of God's kingdom was their greatest desire. He who was their provider, redeemer, and daily guide is worthy to be feared, worshipped, and adored. In this lecture, we will study the concluding words of the Lord's Prayer as they reflect the confession, desire, and hope of God's children. Welcome to this lecture number nine in the series of The Beauty of Prayer. Today we're going to look at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It's actually not a petition. It's not a request. It is a confession. It's the conclusion. We read it in Matthew 6, verse 13, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's how the Lord Jesus teaches us to conclude our prayer. It's a conclusion of adoration, of glorification. God must be exalted. He must receive all the glory, the praise, and the adoration. That's the aim of our life. That's the aim of our existence. That should also be the aim of our prayer. How our prayer must end in the glory of God. And so the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples to bow in the dust before the majesty, the power, and the glory of God. It's nothing of us. It's all in him. We don't receive the glory. He receives the glory. And that's the desire of all those who have learned to love God. They wish to see him glorified in their lives. This is the great conclusion, the grand perspective of prayer. And by doing so, the Lord Jesus gives his people, as it were, wings to fly up to God and behold the greatness of God and to see the certainty of his power, might and majesty. What a comfort, what a glorious, rich perspective they may now end in God. They have prayed for forgiveness of all their debts. They have laid their needs of daily life before the Lord. They have begged the Lord to be delivered from all evil. And now at the end of this, they may look away from themselves and from their own needs. And they may look at who God is. 
They may stare at the glory and the beauty of God. And that must be the culmination, the conclusion of their prayer. They may admire his greatness. They may wonder at his power. They may marvel in his glorious kingdom and his honor. At the beginning of this prayer, we were taught to begin our prayer by addressing God who is in heaven, our Father which art in heaven. And that is the glorious reality of God. He is in heaven. He is enthroned in power, in majesty. And now at the end of this prayer, the Lord Jesus comes back full circle and he ends in who God is. Again, we may see the glorious God who is in heaven. You may, you may begin your prayer and you may end your prayer in the power, in the glory, in the majesty. And so you may know that his kingdom shall come. There's no doubt here, for it simply stated, Thine is the kingdom and thine is the power the power to convert sinners, to teach sinners to do thy will, to cause thy kingdom to come, and that his glorious name will be hallowed, will receive glory. Oh, this last part of the, of the Lord's prayer is so glorious. It gives the assurance that all this, what we have prayed for, will come to pass. It's a fact. It's not a question. It's not under discussion. It's simply a fact. Thine is the kingdom. You see, God is king forever. And now God has given the rule of his kingdom to his son. Now the Lord Jesus is king forever. And his kingdom will be the only kingdom. All other kingdoms, all other empires will fall but he will rule over everything and that till all eternity to him must all people bow. The Lord is in full control. We may rest in him. We may rest in his faithfulness, in his power, in his glory. We may say, Lord, thou art my rock, my hiding place. I am resting upon the all-powerful God and who shall glorify his name, who will let his kingdom come and who will lead my life in such a way that all matters will work together for my good and to his glory. Because God's kingdom shall come and every knee shall bow before him and every tongue shall confess him to be Lord of Lords. Many in that day will do it because they are forced to submit before they will be condemned to depart from God forever, they will first have to admit that he is God forever. And this is the glorious reality, what the Lord Jesus is teaching us, that this prayer that he teaches us ends with a perspective upon the glorious kingdom of God.
God's kingdom will ultimately consist of a new heaven and a new earth where heaven and earth will be united together and that will be a kingdom that will last forever. It will be a kingdom without corruption, without fear, without any enemy, a kingdom of perfect peace, a kingdom which will never be destroyed or conquered. This kingdom of God shall break in pieces all other kingdoms, and God's kingdom shall stand forever. Even if his people on earth are killed, they will still reign with him in glory. And even if they lead a longer life, they will still reign with him in glory. That's the ultimate end and aim for all those who love the Lord. This kingdom is the kingdom of Christ. And this king has also power. For it's not only so that thine is the kingdom, but thine is also the power. Actually, every power in existence ultimately originates from God. Even the power of the devil and the power that people have to commit all kinds of evil, they receive that power ultimately from God. But they are abusing that power and they will be punished for that. But in order for a man to do wicked deeds, he needs power from God. Now Christ has displayed the power of God by crushing Satan's head that took place on the cross when he overcame the prince of darkness. And now he is exhibiting his power by delivering people who are held in bondage and slavery by the devil. He is redeeming them. And so he is delivering captives and he is causing his kingdom to come. Power is an essential perfection of God. God not only has the power to make laws, but also to enforce compliance to his laws. He issues commandments, but he can also enforce obedience. He does that by his power. Sinful people who never wanted to listen to God, they are overcome by the power of Christ. And that power is not drawing people who will be kicking and resisting God, but he overcomes their unwillingness. He makes them very willing in the day of his power, Psalm 110. He draws them with bonds of love. Here we see the power of God in converting sinners. The chains of Satan are broken. God's kingdom is set up within the soul of people. His power keeps his people and preserves them from falling and bringing them into his heavenly kingdom. And so when we pray to God, we must realize he has every power. And the power of God is available to you. 
everlasting power is there for you. This power of God is on your side when you have been gained for his kingdom. He can defend you from every enemy. He can save you out of every difficulty. He can even cause his angels to come and to deliver you. He can subdue any sin within you. There's nothing too difficult for him. He can save to the uttermost because he is the almighty, all-powerful, everlasting God. He is willing to save. He is powerful and willing. Powerful to save, willing to save. That's how he reveals himself as a loving and a merciful God. He is able and willing to provide you with all your cares. And so when you pray, think about his almighty power. It's through his almighty power that he saves lost sinners. He has already shown this power in such beautiful manners. How is it possible that God can become man? That's possible through his Son. God sent his Son into this world and he caused his Son to be born from a virgin and to be born and grow and live amongst us. He laid down his life as a ransom price for sin. And by his almighty power, he overcame death. He arose from the dead. By the same almighty power, he conquered hell. He vanquished the power of the evil one. He removes the guilt of his people. And then in that same almighty power, he sends his spirit to apply that work of Christ to souls of men. He changes people's lives. He makes them new. And that's only possible because of his almighty power. Nothing can change a sinner's heart. Only God's power can do that. You know that the same power that created heaven and earth, the same power that causes a dead man to rise from the grave, that same power is needed to convert a sinner. And so it's through that same almighty power that God's Spirit saves people from their sins. He translates them from darkness to his wonderful light. That's his almighty power. The Lord has shown his salvation. And now when you pray, think about his power. By, think of, about his almighty power by which he is willing to save lost sinners and have trust in his almighty power. He can deliver sinners from bondage. The greatest sinners can be converted. Trust in his power. 
He has already shown so much of his power in this world. And maybe you know about his power in your own life. When you know of his great power that he saved you, and how he overcame difficulties in your life, maybe you are again looking at impossibilities, and you're laying these impossibilities down before the Lord and you don't know how this can be solved in your life. You don't know how you can go on any further. But remember, He can save to the uttermost because He is almighty. Remember the deeds He has done as recorded in Scripture. Remember the deeds he has already done in your life. Take courage. Plead upon his almighty power. And that may give you hope and comfort. Even when you may feel that you are still outside of God's saving grace, that's possible that you see that you need His work of salvation in your own life and you have come to realize that you cannot save yourself and you cannot renew yourself. But what you cannot do, He can do. He is Almighty God. Therefore, rest your case with Him. Have hope upon His almighty power. And realize that the Lord Jesus is able and willing to perform this work of salvation in your life. What I cannot do, thou art able to perform, because thou art almighty. A child of God has no power in himself, but that you may come as a timid, weak dove, and you may shelter underneath the wings of Jesus' power. What a stark contrast. His great power and our utter weakness. In spiritual life, we become acquainted with God's power as well as with our own weakness. We are taught to forsake ourselves and to trust upon Him. You see, the more you see your own weakness, the more you will trust upon God alone. And you will venture upon his power. When a skipper sees that his boat is fragile and leaking, he will seek a carpenter to fix it. When you realize that you are weak, you will flee to God to receive power to help you in time of need. Too often, a Christian, a child of God, will trust still in his own power and think he can handle this, and he will neglect to seek power and grace of God. You see that in the life of David and of Peter and of others. Never trust your own power, but cast yourself upon God's power. You see, this is glorifying to God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. When we see God's glorious kingdom and we observe his power, 
then this all will lead to the glorification of God. Because God must receive everlasting glory. And there are so many reasons for that. Is it not a glorious thing to see a candle still burning in the midst of terrible winds? Or to see that same candle in the midst of quenching waves? But it still burns. It's not blown out. And likewise to see a weak human being assaulted on every side, but sustained and held firm in God's arms until finally every enemy will be vanquished. It's a glorious matter. Our weakness drives us out to God. And because of his power, a poor bruised reed is not broken, and a faint smoking flax is not quenched. What a blessing to lean upon the Lord, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And in this way, God is glorified. You see that salvation and the entirety of your life, that's not because of you. It's all because of his care for you, because of his grace, because of his power. Glory must therefore be ascribed only to the Lord. And that's again, as we said before, the aim of all God's dealings. It's the glory of God himself. He made all things to his own glory. That means all things were created by him and for him. And they must all contribute to his supreme and endless praise. And that's why the Lord Jesus always promoted the glory of God. He desired that God would be glorified in his life here on earth. And that must be the aim of all his people. He said, Father, I have glorified thee upon the earth because God works all things to the glory and the honor of his name. He saves sinners to the glory of his name. He shows mercy upon a sinner so that his name would be honored and adored. And that's ultimately what prayer is all about, about the glory and the honor of God. Because the Lord works all things to his glory. He created heaven and earth to his glory. Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the Lord works salvation to the glory of his name. Ephesians 1 verse 5 and 6, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of the glory of his grace. And think of that beautiful text in Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Because God saves, delivers, 
so that you would say God is good. To him be the praise and the adoration. And so the Lord sustains his people and strengthens his servants and helps his servants as they deliver his word. He does it all to the glory of his name. And so he saves and delivers his people from all their troubles to the glory of his name. And so when you pray, let this be in the background of your prayer, that ultimately everything must have this aim, that God would be glorified. Let it be also your personal prayer. Lord, glorify thy name in my life. Then ultimately it does not matter what happens to you that much as long as God would be glorified. And then even in days of sickness or in days of hardships, pray that what you go through may be to the glory of his great name and ask grace of God to be kept from sin Ask grace that you will be made obedient to God and that it all would be to the glory of God, for he is worthy of all glory, praise and adoration. You know, God is glorified by thanksgiving. God is glorified when we acknowledge that God answers prayer. We are to offer thanksgiving to God for his many blessings, and this is glorifying God. That's why a Christian should not only pray and lay petitions before God, but also remember to give thanksgiving to God. Every day the Lord gives us so many tokens of his mercy and grace. And these supply us with many reasons to offer thanksgiving to him. And this will all be to the glory of his name. Think of how the Lord supplies you with your daily food. Think of how he causes the sun to shine, that he lets the rain come down. Think of how he gave you his word and how his word spoke to your heart. Think of the invitations to everlasting life and how he shows you his forgiving grace. Even when you go through difficulties, when a child of God looks back, who kept your head upward? Who sustained you? Who lifted you up? Who gave you grace? It was the Lord who did this. And it's often in a path of difficulties that the Lord teaches his people rich spiritual lessons. And then in a certain sense, even the afflictions can be blessings in disguise. Because they show you more of who God is, and thereby God glorifies himself. 
And so we are called to give thanksgiving to God. This is glorifying to him. But still, this is often neglected. People receive blessings. They are happy. They are glad. But that's not the same as being thankful. That's not the same as giving glory to God. For instance, you find that in the ten lepers who came to the Lord Jesus. The Lord healed them all. Luke 17, verse 17. Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he was a Samaritan. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4 verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And so the Bible shows us the necessity of thanksgiving. Why is that? Because God thereby receives glory. We acknowledge his goodness towards us. We cannot in ourselves add anything to his glory. But now he is pleased to receive our simple praises. And he is pleased to accept our thanksgiving and to consider that thereby he would be glorified. True thanksgiving that comes from a heart that is humbly aware of its own unworthiness. To give true thanksgiving, we must realize that we didn't deserve anything of what we received. Such a heart shall value the gifts and shall appreciate the love of the giver of all these gifts, and say with Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of all these blessings. And so to give glory to God, it's important to be particular, to mention blessings God has given us. There can be many daily blessings in which God shows care for our daily lives. We can have been in certain difficulties and that the Lord gives full deliverance. Don't forget those deliverances, but lay them before the Lord with thanksgiving. The Lord has given us many privileges above many other people. Let us acknowledge God for that. He cares for nature. He sustains heaven and earth. We see the sun and the moon and the stars, and we must adore God for all the works of his hands. And the Lord also gives the various seasons and grants the grass to grow upon the mountains. The Lord gives food to the animals, how he cares for the crops. We read in Psalm 65, verse 9 through 11, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. 
Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. And so God is glorified because of all his care for nature. When we give our thanksgiving to the Lord, we must do that remembering that he made us, that he made us to be reasonable creatures, and that we are capable of knowing God and of loving him and enjoying him. That capacity is already an abundant reason to give thanks to God and to praise God. We must praise him that we are not as the animals who will perish, that we have received such privilege to know, love and enjoy God. And so offer up thanksgiving to the Lord that he keeps and protects us that he gives us intelligence and understanding, that he gives us bodies that function as they should, that the Lord has cared for us since the day we were born. Isaiah says that the Lord has carried us all the days. The Lord has watched over us. He has taken care of us in all our ways and that in spite of our sins, and our many shortcomings, and that we have not given him honor which he deserved to receive. Let us give thanks to God for all his care, for health, and when he has restored health after sickness, and there is only really a step between us and death, but the Lord has kept us all our life we may still be in the land of the living. The Lord has delivered our souls from death, our eyes from tears, and our feet from falling. And therefore we are to give proper thanks to the Lord for all these blessings. He is like a shepherd who cares for his sheep and who gives us every day food and nourishment. It can be that the Lord has blessed us in our daily work, in our occupation. Maybe he has given us strength and insight in our profession and ability so that the works of our hands have been blessed. The Lord gives us homes to live in and the Lord keeps us from danger. He may have blessed us in giving us children. And so if you think further and more about the blessings the Lord gives us, we will soon realize we cannot even number them all. They become so plenteous. Then actually we see in front of us a huge pile. Actually, it's a huge mountain of all the tokens of God's goodness given to us. And if we then realize who we are in ourselves, then we see another mountain. And that's the mountain of our sins, of our shortcomings. 
And so often we neglected to do what we should have done. That we did not do the will of God. That we have fallen short. And then it's such a miracle that in spite of this great mountain of our own sins and iniquities, we still see that mountain of God's blessings and goodness towards us. And in between these two mountains, we see the valley of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these blessings are merited by Christ in spite of all our sins. And therefore to God be all the glory, the praise and the adoration. And you know it's a most comforting thought, a thought that we cannot fully fathom, but that it will be so glorious in heaven, for there God will receive all glory without any spot or stain of sin, and that that will take place till all eternity. That's such a blessed thought that the history of this world will end therein, that God will receive glory for all his works, and that will be the joy of all those who love him, that they will spend eternity magnifying and glorifying God for all the riches of his grace. And therefore, the thanksgiving and the adoration that you now lift up in this life will one day be made perfect, perfect adoration, true, unstained, unspotted worship. And then the whole church of God will break out in adoration, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory for ever and ever. Thank you. We hope you have been instructed by what we have considered in this lecture. Join Reverend Prose next time as we further explore the beauty of prayer and ask, what do we mean when we conclude our prayers with the word, Amen?